sorry i have no idea about the paintings and so it was an eye opener for me and in a great sense one thing which i am wondering is what kind of paints dyes or pigments or spices they have used in these paintings especially the cave paintings that they have survived for so many centuries amongst rainfall and cold and winters and erosion etc indeed something that is uh, very important for us to think about uh, because these paintings have survived uh, 2000 years and more and most of them have survived at least 1500 years whereas uh, the colors that we make today do not last for very long uh, it is uh, it's it's a very simple uh, very simple range of materials from which uh, the colors were prepared uh, the black is from lamp soot the white is from uh, lime the uh, reds and yellows are from ochre uh, the greens are vegetable dyes and it is only the uh, blue which comes from uh, lapis lazuli which would have come from the northwest uh, of india and these are blended together to form uh, to provide you the range of uh, uh, shades and colors that you see but uh, i think um, whether it is the plaster the three layers of plaster which are put upon the walls or whether it is these uh, colors that are used or whether it is the art itself which is created there is obviously a great sense of dedication with which it is all done a great understanding which is born out of the deepest interest and the desire to do things perfectly and so that they will last it is this dedication which we have to learn from that is what gives the the special quality and that's what eventually makes things last we live in a world today where in fact it is a commercial interests which are all, which are the predominant concern where it is a matter of selling things whether it is a matter of uh, you know uh, producing things as cheaply as possible um, and of course trying to find ways of selling them as expensive as one can but the orientation is very different now here you have uh, guilds of artists whose uh, purpose is to whose purpose is divine people who see the divinity of life itself and who devote themselves completely to doing things perfectly and i say the divinity of life itself because it's important to understand that this is not religion in the conventional sense of the term these are not gods but this is the divinity of all that there is the finding of the divine the finding of the beautiful the finding of the sacred the finding of the beautiful not only within each of us but in all that there is and therefore giving respect to everything all around and therefore also giving respect to doing everything with a perfection so coming back to the colors making the colors as perfectly as is possible 
and making colors that will last also. I have a question regarding Venu Gopal uh, painting. Um, where else you have uh, captured uh, these paintings in uh, India? If you can elaborate with them. Of Venu Gopal? Yes. Well, you certainly have uh, more paintings of Venu Gopala in uh, in Rajasthan, right across down to Kerala. You have them all over the country. But if I can uh, elaborate a little bit more on the other thing which I mentioned at that time, which is that uh, we came across this beautiful, uh, these two beautiful Venu Gopalas in uh, Japan. There I thought you may be curious to know that uh, Hindu deities are worshipped uh, today as much in Japan as they are worshipped in India. So in fact you may be surprised to know that uh, there are hundreds of temples to Saraswati alone in Japan including uh, a temple which is about, uh, which is over 250 feet tall to Saraswati, that you, you do not get to see uh, temples of Saraswati uh, in India. Uh, Lakshmi is worshipped. You have so many deities, you have so many Shivas, you have Brahma, you have so many temples even to Yama. In fact, you'd be uh, curious to know that uh, the Havan or Homa, which is called Goma in Japan, is uh, performed every day and uh, in most cases more than once every day in more than 1200 temples of Japan, along with Sanskrit chanting. And how do all the Japanese priests? chant in Sanskrit because many of them uh, uh, cannot uh, read Sanskrit. And it brings us to the most beautiful point of all which is that uh, Kana, the Japanese alphabet in fact was created on the phonetics of Sanskrit. So if you go to a uh, a primary school in Japan, you hear the children there going ah, ah, ee, ee, oo, oo, just like you will have in India. And uh, so the Japanese priests have in front of them the prayer books which have uh, the uh, mantras in Sanskrit and next to it you have them phonetically in Kana. So if they are not able to read the Sanskrit they read it uh, from the Kana and they chant in Sanskrit. And now which is the Sanskrit? It is a Sanskrit script of the 5th, 6th century. Siddham. So Siddham which has been forgotten in India and there is no place which, where, you can, where you are taught Siddham in India is preserved in Japan. In fact at Koyasan in Japan there is still a school that teaches uh, writing in uh, the Siddham script. You may, uh, if you were to uh, go to uh, YouTube, 
and uh, put in uh, Indian deities worshipped in Japan. You may enjoy seeing my film on this subject. So the Indian influence is absolutely immense right across Asia. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it was uh, a great treat to listen to you for such a dedicated uh, version of what you have said. And uh, you can see my age. We have not gone through such a best of the discussions about the entire uh, you know, century. But my simple question is that uh, when we look towards Takshila, Mohanjadaro, the ancient civilization, and in this also, we are finding that there are less description of the epics. It is more of Shiva and then Buddha, but it is less of Rama and Krishna. We showed one or two slides of Krishna What is the, uh, the scientific reason behind that two epics are missing uh, in volumes, right from Mohanjadaro to the the pictorial arts in Ajanta caves or anywhere else. Could you uh, get us some sense that uh, in spite of such uh, great epics, why they are missing Lord Krishna or Lord Rama or something? Well, um, you did see um, um, you did see the theme from the Ramayana in the Viranchi Narayan uh, temple. And as you come into the later period, you will uh, begin to see more and more uh, of the themes uh, from the epics. And the reason for that is that the epics were created in the later period. So in the earlier, uh, earlier period, you have other themes. Of course, uh, the epics are also enormously important and deeply revered. As a matter of fact, I have a film uh, on the Ramayana which I have shot in uh, 10 countries and uh, uh, Sujata and I have had the pleasure of uh, seeing the deep dedication with which people revere the Ramayana in other countries I can I can share with you that in uh, in many other Asian countries they revere the Ramayana much more than we do in India. It is part of their daily lives. You can have two people sitting and having a conversation and somebody might say, ah, you are behaving like Vibhishan again. So it is a part of life. You Even in a Buddhist country like um, Thailand, the king is still uh, Rama. And he is supposed to be... Uh, an incarnation of uh, Vishnu. And uh, there has been a tradition of a prime minister in uh, uh, Thailand who uh, saw himself as uh, Hanuman, as the greatest uh, devotee, the greatest server of Lord Rama. And um, even in a Muslim country like Indonesia, the Ramayana is performed uh, every day. And uh, in a very beautiful way, <coughs> on a very large scale and at the same time very gracefully and very beautifully. In countries uh, like uh, Cambodia, we have seen some of the gentlest, most meditative 
most beautiful performances of the Ramayana, where the artists lose themselves in puja before they are going to uh, dance. And it's very important to remember that they will not perform in the ancient traditions coming from India, in these Indic traditions. Dance will never be a performance. Even that word when we use it these days is a very wrong word. And what we do on the stage is often completely wrong. Because dance of that kind is devotion. And fortunately in some places like Manipur, that tradition still survives. In Manipur I have shot, we have made films on it and I have seen so many times that when they, when they do the Rasalila, the audience and the people who are doing it are one. They are one in devotion. There is no clapping or anything after that. It is not a performance at all. So, so the epics are, uh, are, are very important, uh, but they are of a later period. And the epics continue to be extremely important right across the continent of Asia. Uh, sir, one thing is, like, uh, we don't see much of pictures on uh, wars or any battle. Most of it is meditative or celebration. So, does it show those who are drawing or painting are of that sort or it shows that this is the virtue that they most preferred and not battle or anything? Very interesting. I hardly know where to begin and I there is so much that I uh, can share with you on this point. Um, much of what we believe today is based upon our understanding of the world. And uh, sometimes when we look at the ancient world, uh, we, can, uh, hardly, we can hardly relate to it. When you go back to the uh, Indus Valley period in this subcontinent, you are looking at a civilization which is one of the two oldest uh, the world has known, uh, Mesopotamia and uh, Indus Valley. And of course, Indus Valley is a misnomer because though Mesopotamia was small in size, this civilization, which is uh, still called Indus Valley because the first few finds were in the Indus Valley region, has been found to be spread over a very large area. So it is a very large uh, civilization. Now, archaeologists have been fascinated to see a few things. One is something like what you are saying, that uh, though the art of other civilizations has representations of warfare and in fact prisoners of war and uh, memorials to war victories, the art of the Indus Valley sites has absolutely no representation of any kind of warfare or prisoners of war or anything like that at all. Another thing which is noted is that uh, 
weapons of war have not been discovered in the indus valley uh, period sites now you may find somewhere one blade uh, knife but uh, one blade does not uh, mean a weapon of war weapons of war are normally found in hundreds and thousands in fact together so you do not find weapons of war at all in the indus valley sites further you do not find any barracks so archaeologists note that uh, you know where would you keep an army or police if you do not have barracks so it's very interesting though this is not conclusive evidence that uh, that this earliest civilization of the indian subcontinent was entirely peaceful without army or police so like i i repeat that though this is not conclusive evidence but it is certainly a very strong possibility which is being seen out here and you are absolutely right in saying that uh, uh, you do not find uh, these representations in the art of the period that uh, that uh, was made because yes the focus of the art is on on finding the peace and the beauty that is within you of transporting you through your recognition and your response to the grace and beauty of all that there is around you so therefore violence and warfare really has no place in this in fact why do you have warfare and violence because some greedy fellow wants this or that and the entire purpose of this philosophy and the purpose of this art is to take you away from the material world to help you to realize the maya or mithya contained in all these material things therefore there is no place for violence or greed or warfare <coughs> and as you have observed this also reflects the quality of the human life and the quality of the human being that is creating the art because in every single line that an artist makes he can only make himself therefore if he is confused if he is violent it will be seen in every line that he makes and if there is a grace if there is a joy if there is a transport it is again the quality of the artist so definitely there is a the human quality is at a much higher level in the period of that time definitely the sense of peace the sense of uh, the understanding of life the sense of warmth the sense of affection and love is definitely much more at that time than we have in society today let's face it today the society in the world is extremely confused is violent is greedy is directionless you have given lot of i mean uh, uh, significance to the southern region you know or even to the ajanta times of you know the ancient times in the to the southern region so 
don't you feel that you know the north, northern region or for that matter the western region or, or the eastern region also had a role to play in that you know and why is it then the mughal era and the, even the colonial i mean times are also missing missing in that you know so is it that the southern region has played a significant role in uh, i mean bringing the art to the you know mainstream uh, as as far as you know times are concerned in fact uh, the most important and the largest chunk of it all was from the western region ajanta is the western region and we did have uh, all the paintings of the kashmiri artists which were made in uh, the mountainous regions of the north so we did have those that was in the later part of the you know presentation but we are sure in the initial stages you know a lot of significance was given to cholas you know chanakya things like intellectual intellectuals from you know southern region or from the kings uh, and i mean these people you know got lot of you know i mean played a significant role so don't you feel that i mean that played a major role in fact in bringing the art uh, as far as india is concerned to the mainstream we did uh, like i said the western region has been shown more than anything else so it's not the southern region uh, ajanta has been shown uh, enormously and uh, we have in fact uh, shown what uh, is surviving so it is true that in the uh, in the northern belt a lot of paintings have not survived therefore we cannot show those paintings there you are right so uh, the uh, the mostly our class figures and uh, is it like due to some specific reason like almost all the paintings i could not find a single exception uh, what is the reason what is the reason behind it in indian art of the ancient period uh, you are seeing idealized forms you are not uh, you are not seeing uh, photographic reality okay it is we've got used to photographic reality when it was brought to us in the western tradition in the academic realism but indian art goes far beyond that it is presenting to you the grace which underlies all that there is it is showing to you the beauty which is in all that is around you so that is the purpose of the art and a very important thing to understand is that there is absolutely nothing erotic about it it is not like uh, it is not like in uh, it is not like you have in today's world that you will see uh, figures like you are saying but for the purpose of uh, attraction for the purpose of titillating somebody this is very peaceful beauty beauty which reminds you of the grace that there is uh, i don't recall the exact source but in the national museum i saw like ideal women uh, and ideal men dimensions it has something to do with that some suktam is there no all the uh, all the treaties which were made on art making in india they they give you dimensions so uh, definitely it is codified to make it easier for people to be able to uh, to create uh, 
even temples have dimensions, human figures have dimensions, all that is uh, spelt out in great details. The earliest known treatise to be doing that is the Chitra Sutra, and then there are many later ones coming into the medieval period. Your presentation started with the Ajanta and Aurora paintings, which are like 4th, 5th century. Do we have any evidence of earlier paintings as well? Because I am sure that if we have had such a long culture, we must be having something somewhere. So, do we have any evidence of those paintings, number one? Number two, if we do not have the evidence of those paintings, was it more sculpture which was more prominent rather than the paintings themselves? These are the two questions. And the last point was, uh, recently there was a discovery in Chhattisgarh about 30,000 year old caves where some cave paintings were found. I have no idea what kind of paintings those are, whether they are carvings or paintings. But if you have seen those carvings or paintings, do you see any continuity? Thanks. Right. Uh, in fact, Ajanta itself has paintings of the 2nd century BC. It's just that uh, there's so much uh, scratching and so much damage on them that I did not include uh, those in this presentation. But you do have paintings surviving going back to the 2nd century BC. And they also <clears throat> have that extremely high quality of art. So that's one thing. And uh, the second thing is that uh, sculpture has also been there from the same period. And uh, the only thing is that sculpture survives better. So there's more sculpture surviving from the earlier period and even sculpture which is earlier than the 2nd century BC, which is surviving. In the case of paintings, uh, they are much more ephemeral, so there's much less that survives uh, in front of us. Now, as for the Chhattisgarh paintings, I've not seen those, but I have, in fact, seen a lot of uh, prehistoric paintings and uh, made films on them also. And uh, I would say that... Uh, are, that is not part of what you would describe as a classic tradition of painting, which you were seeing here, which is a very deeply formulated uh, you know, uh, art. But the prehistoric paintings everywhere in India and everywhere in the world are in their own way very sophisticated art. So it seems that uh, it is... Um, the unspoilt and simple human beings that always create fine art. So prehistoric paintings are very high order of art. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.